Today is Friday, November 12th. The title for our devotional is, This Guy Gets It. In this brief story that we're about to read, we see a story that speaks to all three distortions of the faith that stem from hyper-individualism. And the main character in this story, apart from Jesus, really gets it. Matthew 8, 5-13. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside, into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. As we look at our three distortions of the Christian faith produced by individualism that we're discussing this week, let's see how this guy got it and avoided those distortions. First one, the, the gospel had been reduced to personal salvation. Here we see that the faith of the individual at play in verse 10, where, where Jesus applauds his faith, uh, being greater than any faith he had seen in Israel, he says, which again, this is the core of the kingdom message. But then in verses 11 to 12, he points to the larger concept of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God is expanding. It's expanding just beyond the people of Israel. Indeed, the Gentiles, anyone who possesses faith in Jesus, even this Roman centurion, a member of the occupying force in Israel, which was previously thought to be the kingdom of God, even this guy is now a participant in the kingdom. So Jesus expands it from from the individual personal salvation, which is vital, core, integral to this concept of the kingdom. He, he, he then points him to the bigger picture of the kingdom of God moving far beyond, beyond just Jerusalem, just Israel, the people of Israel to the Gentiles, anyone who has faith in him. Secondly, uh, the individual being the locus of authority. The centurion here recognizes that he is not the locus of authority. Indeed, he has authority. But he is also, quote, one under authority, as he says in verse 9, from, that is, higher-ranking military officials. He even goes a step further to recognize that Jesus is of a greater authority than he. Both times he addresses Jesus, he does so as his Lord, in verses 6 through 8, which is a recognition of his higher status and superiority. He doesn't have the power to heal his servant. Only Jesus does. Another dynamic at play here is... In this culture, the person of lower social status would always go to the person of higher social status, never the other way around. So by stopping Jesus from coming to him, into his house, he he may be suggesting this, that Jesus, it is not appropriate for you, my Lord, to come to me. Instead, I must come to you. Thirdly, churches being a place of self-actualization rather than a spiritual formation. Remember, this is getting at the consumeristic idea. Note the humility of this centurion. Luke's account of this event notes that he had built a synagogue for the Jews in Capernaum, which he certainly didn't have to do. 
he is asking to receive something from Jesus, of course, but looking at his language again, he doesn't demand. He doesn't even really request anything. If we go back and and read it again, uh, he says, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And then it's Jesus who said to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion in his reply, he says, Lord, I don't deserve to even have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And then he goes into describing how he's a man under authority as well. And how Jesus, he confesses Jesus has that authority. He's also incredibly accommodating to Jesus. Remember in verse 8 when he suggests that Jesus doesn't need to come into his house. So again, he he could be doing this because Jesus is a person of higher um, authority than he is. So it wasn't appropriate for Jesus to come to him. Instead, he should go to him. He could also be doing this as an attempt to respect the Jewish cleanliness laws that would have prohibited Jews from entering a Gentile house. So again, he could be doing either one or possibly both. Again, in this short story, we see this beautiful picture of an individual whose perspective was not contaminated by a hyper-individualism. And Jesus applauds him for it. Jesus applauds him by saying that his faith is greater than any that he has found even in Israel. For additional content, I threw this in the additional content section, but it's really just, again, me talking and writing. But... If you've really been paying attention in this campaign, you've probably noticed that I've denounced both tribalism and individualism as cultural forms that have crept into the church. You'd be right to ask, then, how should we think about this, or how should we live? I think the answer comes in Paul's analogy of the body. It's his favorite analogy of the church, and for good reason. It affirms both the dignity of the individual, as well as the dependence of the individual on the community. Romans 12, 4-5 says it says it all. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. (laughs) In the context, Paul is articulating what it looks like to live in the will of God and to be transformed in our minds. The first thing he mentions is, in that regard is humility. Don't think of yourself more highly than you want. That's in verse 3, which is just previous to what we read. If we were to keep reading on after what we read, uh, the next few verses he launches into how each individual has gifts given by God to be used for the edification of the body. In brief, then, we see this beautiful picture of how we can maintain an individual identity by recognizing who we are to God and how he has gifted us uniquely to serve. But that service is not to be done in isolation or for our own benefit. We also consider ourselves a part of the larger community, and our unique gifts are to be used for the edification of others. Both concepts must be in play. Just like your brain is an individual organ and has unique function, yet it is dependent upon the other organs of the body performing their function for it to survive. It requires oxygenated blood, which requires your lungs to oxygenate oxygenate the blood and your heart to pump it and your blood vessels to carry it. It's all interdependent. Also, when it malfunctions, it affects the whole body. Therefore, we must maintain a healthy individual identity along with a healthy corporate identity. This is not easy, as is obvious with how much time the New Testament authors spend expounding on this idea. Yet it is the way scripture calls us to live, so it is right and good. Therefore, we must both emphasize the dignity and the salvation of the individual, as well as the corporate and community identity that we are called to in the body of Christ.